we would be honored if you would join us. And welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers Radio. This is Daniel. Krebs and Matt are currently in California, and Alton is still on hiatus. Uh, because this is the Memorial Weekend, we put together a really amazing show. Uh, I participated at LTUE back in February, and one of the panels I was on, which was fantastic, uh, we decided to share with you, our listeners. So I hope you enjoy. This panel is called The Best Science Fiction and Fantasy Scenes Ever So Far. And uh, we've got a great panel. And, Can I make um, some up? Sure. If they're the best. <laughs> I will check. Sweet. Daniel, you already have. I know. <laughs> there it is. Um, let's see. Uh, we have a film festival tonight in Canyon at 7 to 10. We have an art show right down the hall here. Um, there are There's one class that I know will be canceled tomorrow. But we'll have everything like that on the board with our registration. So if you, if, uh, if you want to see something and it's not where you think it's supposed to be, check there. Uh, Mike, are there any other announcements that I have? Banquet tickets. Oh, yes, banquet tickets. You can still get banquet tickets. Um, who did the, it's online. Right? Uh, go to registration. Yeah, go to registration. Oh, you can go to registration. That's right. Registration. Go to the registration office. And you can get tickets. And with that, I will shut up and let our moderator take over. And uh, enjoy. All right. Thank you. Sounds like it is life. So, uh, welcome today to the best science fiction and fantasy scenes ever, parentheses, so far. Um, we have some lovely panelists, and I'm going to let them introduce themselves after I do a quick bio myself. My name is Dylan Parker. I'm the editor at Chapter One Publishing. I'm also a podcast host for uh, Buckle Podcast, and I do a lot of uh, editing and co-scripting for some other ones. I can't touch a bitch. Uh, we have a wonderful group, and I'm just going to start on this end and just go straight down. So this is the lovely part, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think they're all lovely. I think lovely is a very open term. Isn't she lovely? No. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Megan Loy. I'm a storyboard artist and screenwriter working in animation out in California. Um, I've storyboarded on projects for a lot of studios, DreamWorks, Netflix, Nickelodeon. Uh, some of my stuff that's out already is Jurassic World Camp Cretaceous and Star Trek Lower Decks. And this week, they finally announced a show. I was on Nickelodeon about a year ago. So keep your eyes peeled for Transformers, Earthspark. Um, I also write uh, original shows, and I have sold stuff in both the kids and the grown-up space for animation. I don't think it's on, actually. I think I can just project. I think that's just me being loud. All right. Uh, I'm Daniel Swenson. I am a uh, lo local author. I've written uh, the Fate of Dragon series. I have several other uh, works in project uh, process, excuse me. And I also am the creator and host of a podcast uh, called Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Uh, I'm Richard Teasdale. I'm a local filmmaker. I uh, have edited multiple uh, shorts, like horror shorts. I'm working on a feature right now that I'm that is a like horror sci-fi film, and. Uh, and I'm the deputy director of FilmQuest, which is a local film festival uh, that is in the fall. 
down here in Provo. Yes. <laughs> that, one's on. that one's on. Okay. I'm, I'm with uh, FilmQuest, so that's basically all I'm saying. And has the most deadliest award yes. statue ever. It has a, a Cthulhu statue that stabs and kills. No, it doesn't kill, just injures you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. If it's Cthulhu, it has to drive them out of their mind. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm Tom Durham. Um, I'm a writer, producer, and director. I run Martian Studios, which is a production company here in Utah, and we produce television, uh, movies, and animation. And um, and and like and like uh, yeah, we, we got a chat. Um, and um, and like many people here, I'm actually an aspiring author. So I've i I'm into movies and all that kind of stuff. And and we're shooting another movie this summer, but. Um, but I've yet to publish a novel, so I have a lot to learn from uh, from all of you guys and everybody at this everybody at this table. Uh, but uh, happy to be here. All right. Now I want to ask a quick question of the audience here, just as we get into questions. How many of you people are here mostly wanting to hear about movies? Anyone for books specifically? Anyone here for both of them? Everything fantastic. I prepped both. Just. Nothing's worse than getting to a panel and they're like talking about something half related to why you showed up. <laughs> so before we get into any specific examples, I want to ask a, a bit of a general qualifying statement. When you think of the best or the greatest scenes in sci-fi and in fantasy, what are your, your criteria? How are you how are you judging it? Is it gonna be like a character-driven thing? Are you looking for some big flashy effects? Where where is your metric? For me, it is uh, a split between a character moment that's visually just stirring. So it's got to have, it can be uh, flashy as much as you want, but uh, unless it's really grounded in a character moment as well, um, that's what it takes for me. Uh, for me, it's tied to emotion. You know, even if it's like, Vader showing up at Ro in Rogue One, you see that crimson blade shoot out, and you're like, <gasps> yes! Um, you know, it's something like that, or something where you, know, you want to cry, or something like that. It's always tied to emotion for me. I, I agree with that. I agree with both of what you're saying, yes. Um, uh, obviously, there are some very big action-oriented and epic moments. Um, I do like some of those, or, you know, enjoy watching those, but... Um, you know, when one comes to my mind, I generally think of a of a character-driven uh, moment as you know, maybe even just a quiet one. So, see, for me, I would say that it's um, <clears throat> it's going to be something that a moment that I'm going to take with me for the rest of my life. And when it comes to science fiction and fantasy, one of the, one of the cool things about science fiction and fantasy is that, is that a lot of the rules that define the worlds that you're watching, whether it's a sci-fi film, a fantasy film, or a book, whatever, those are rules that were designed by a writer, a creator of some kind, and those rules were carefully designed to help express an idea. And so, and so when those rules come together in this character moment, and those, when those come together, then it's like, oh my gosh, that seems incredible because this whole universe that they created is contributing to that one moment. And so I, I would say that the world and that message comes together 
in a way that I'll take for the rest of my life. I'm sure, I'm sure we're going to talk about some of those. See oh, yeah. they, oh, absolutely. So, what I want to, I, I want to start, because if we could did every media ever, it would be days trying to decide. So we're going we're to break this down a little bit. What would be your favorite scene from a film? can be animated, can be live action, sci-fi or fantasy, but a moment that had you just stirred. I mean, at the Rogue One scene, just the punch, you finally felt what it was like to be just some rebel schmuck with Vader walking down. Oh yeah, it's good to me. Uh, what, what would be a, a theatrical moment where you just kind of went, you, you were grossed and grossed? Um, something that hits me now, even though it's a movie that my little sister watched every day for about two years, um, is the scene in The Lion King from uh, 96, the original animated one. And it's when Simba is walking to the end of Pride Rock, and a huge combo to this is the music that Hans Zimmer added to the score. Um, but it's when Simba hears his dad's voice for the last time, and he says, remember, and then he roars, and I'm just like, get it, All right, I'm going to avoid Star Wars because I probably pick many. Um, so I'm going to go with recently uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Hopefully everyone has seen this because otherwise I'm going to ruin something. It's okay. Okay, no one's saying anything. <laughs> right. So that final scene, you know, when Egon's granddaughter picks up, you know, the proton pack and fires at it, and then you see that ghostly hand grab a hold of it. Man, I wept like a baby. I mean, really, that, that whole scene was just amazing. And then, you know, it pans over, you see the other three original Ghostbusters, and it's just like, they look over, and it's like, hey, and then they go back. That was just a fantastic scene. So, for me, um, one of my favorite scenes, it's always, it's always kind of been with me. Uh, I really love Blade Runner, the movie Blade Runner, and uh, the end, the, the tears in rain, scene. This is not a big action-oriented scene. Uh, it's just two guys standing on a roof in the rain. But it's really emotional um, and uh, it's poignant. And it just it's always stayed with me and I really love it. So I just think it's gorgeous. Nice. So that's a scene that I wanted to talk about as well. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. <laughs> which is awesome. So yeah. I, I think because that yeah. scene is, is, is so special, I think it deserves two comments. Um, <laughs> and so, um, and so, uh, so to me, just as a, as, as a filmmaker and as a writer and some of these you know, individuals and, and all that kind of stuff, that scene, the tears and rain scene, in my opinion, I'm going I'm to go all the way here. I'm going to go superlative. <laughs> is the greatest scene ever filmed. <laughs> I'm okay with that. So far. Yeah, so far. So, so far, so far. It, it, it's the greatest scene ever filmed uh, because um, what you have is you, you, you have the, the convergence of, of so many different pieces of art in that, in that moment. And so... Um, you have you have you know Philip Kip Dick's you know original story you know going on. You have you know the, the beautiful you know scenics that are happening, Oscar-winning you know production design there you know, that, that, that you're seeing. You have you know Rutger Hauer is improving those a uh, lot of those lines. You know, you have a you have a a big movie star Harrison Ford who is actually being a 
fairly fairly diminished character in that thing. He, he's not an action star in that movie. You know, he, he gets beat up plenty, and he, he doesn't do anything that cool in that movie. You have all, all those components. Um, but what you have is, ultimately, you have that character moment where the bad guy, murderous bad guy, is the one that teaches the hero what humanity is. And that's... And, and, and that, is, that is designed from the ground up as ultimate story making because that, that, that is where the world that has been created by Philip K. Dick, the director, and, just, and, and all, all these other people, that's where the world comes together and says, we got you. And that's what happens with, 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 with people. We get surprised. We, we get surprised by that movie, but we also get surprised by life where, wow, I can learn something really gorgeous from from something that I shouldn't be learning something from. So, I want to add on to that, that um, you were asking before, like what makes this scene one of the greatest, and it's, um, as creative people, being able to admire the craft of a moment, like the knowledge of the time um, and the talent that it takes to go into the moment can take something that maybe a, a lay person who's just, you know, oh yeah, I've watched a bunch of movies, and I saw that one, and that was like a nice scene, but like, knowing what it takes to write something, what it takes to shoot something, what it takes to have all of these combined together um, can actually change the experience, especially if you're like, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to make something like that. How, <laughs> how could I measure up to that? But you want to. But you want yeah. to. Yeah. <laughs> and all the breadcrumbs that led up to that yeah. moment. I, sorry. Sorry. Um, I was working on an animated film when Into the Spider-Verse came out, and our whole team went to go see it, and when the movie was done, our director, who's sitting, you know, a couple rows ahead of everybody else, he just turns around and says, so why are we making movies? (laughs) (laughs) We should stop. (laughs) Look, Skydance comes out in 2023. (laughs) <laughs> I, I've, I've had that moment where I'm, I'm sitting and watching something, something happens and you're enjoying it, and some level you're just also angry, like, I'm never topping that. <laughs> that this, is, this is just funny or anything I could learn. So movies have a lot of legs up in terms of being able to be very memorable. There's the sound design, the set design, but they aren't the only place where we have you know, these really impactful, these really interesting scenes. So what, what is a scene from a, a book that really stood out to you, really meant something? And bonus points to whoever can do, to whoever's bleh, if I can speak today, that'd be lovely. Bonus points to anyone who can do, who talks about a scene that would be unadaptable. Be really hard to make work in a movie either. It would be visually uninteresting, or it would, there was something about it that didn't quite work across. Why would we do that? <laughs> Why do we make a scene that can't be done that way? <laughs> who, came to our, who came to the adapting stories for film and stage panel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, mine is actually, uh, I get irrationally angry when I read Brandon Sanderson's works. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. And there's, there's several, particularly in the Stormlight Archives, that just lead me to weep. But um, the first Mistborn book, uh, Kelsier versus the Steel Inquisitor is just such a complex fight sequence that uh, I actually tried to draw it once and I'm like can't too many things um, 
but uh, that's one that I, I really love because it's such, you're writing such an emotional high there based on what happens in the book directly after. So apparently we're promoting Brandon's work right now. Don't tell him. I'm going to get embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, no. um, it's actually from the first story, Way of Kings, uh, where Kaladin is sitting at the edge of the abyss. It's an amazing scene. You know, everything has gone wrong. He's now a slave. Life sucks. And he's there. And all it takes is one step to end everything. And yet he doesn't. And he takes a step back. And that is a fantastic and really well written scene. Actually, something I want to add to that scene in particular. I remember when I, I read that scene, it was super impactful. Um, I, was, I was reading that and I was like, oh, it's so terrible because he's living in this awful thing and he's depressed and he just doesn't under, you know, there just isn't the, the language for it. Oh wait, I really identify that. Oh no. <laughs> and that's how I'm in help. <laughs> yeah, we can, all, we can all imagine ourselves there. So, um, I was trying to think of which one would really work for this. I, I, uh, this book, this book has been adapted into a movie. I actually really enjoyed like the, like the battle sequences in, in Ender's Game and stuff like that. So those are, I always thought those were really great. Um, Ender's with, Game. What's up what, with you and Harrison Ford? It's, uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what's up with everybody in Harrison Ford? When I was little, I didn't understand how acting worked, and I thought my dad was Harrison Ford. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Was he? No. <laughs> and he still isn't, but Dang it. I love him. I was going to say, uh, Ender's Game has a lot of material in it that when I read it, I thought seemed really unadaptable. And I think that based on the way that movie turned out, it probably was a little bit unadaptable. <laughs> I, they, I don't think it was a bad movie. I know some people really didn't like it. Um, I was on a panel a few years ago with somebody who worked on it who really did not like Aaron, it. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, was Aaron on was in the movie. That's right. Um, but uh, that being said, um, uh, I would love to see it tried again. So nice. Yeah. Well, if we're going for visually unadaptable, um, incredible scenes from books, I will go with the first couple of sentences of the Silmarillion. There was Eru, and then, and then it goes in to talk about the music of the Ainur, right? So, so that's something that, that, that number one, when you, when you read that, it, it really it really sets a scale of storytelling and world and visual and sound and, and all this kind of and character or whatever that really kind of puts it in, in a place very very much set apart from most of what you can read anywhere and so and so because of that some of the imagery that, that is evoked there and some of the concepts that are evoked there I think I think only your brain can do justice to what's happening there because it, it's so ethereal and so grand and so cosmic or whatever that you know even if you know you, you did an interstellar version of that you know with 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 cool with cool you know galactic concepts in there it, it still would would fall quite short and so um, and so to me you know uh, I I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Tolkien fanatic um, but when you get into some of those concepts of, of the Silmarillion those scenes are I think are hugely powerful if you have, if you have not read the Silmarillion you must read the Silmarillion and start today, but um, but but those th those initial scenes of the of the beginning of the universe, I think, would be almost impossible to adapt well in a movie setting.
because it, it, it could never reach. I mean, even if you plugged your brain into some kind of, you know, sensory situation, I, I don't think you could do it because it really is kind of a, you know, it's a very personal, poetic, cosmic situation. So anyway. And I'm gonna throw in a bonus with the uh, Terry Hatchett's Discworld. So much of the emotional connection in that book is through the voice in the prose. And having a narrator repeat the prose over a movie scene just doesn't do it. It's not the same sort of emotional connection. And there have been some very fun and very fine uh, adaptations of Discworld in movie form. Um, but something like Tiffany Aching, as mm. wonderful as the books are, I don't think visually would have the same impact. So we've talked a lot about really good things. Now we're going to talk about something, Jason. What was the scene that uh, you thought had potential? All of the pieces were there. And then for whatever reason, production found the one way to mess it up, where the author found an unsatisfying way to do something that was set up to succeed. Well, what's a scene that you, you think could have been there, but just wasn't? This is movies or books? Movies or books. The pieces are there, but it turned out garbage. Okay. Can we do television? Yes. We're anything in the genres. <laughs> Danny kind of forgot about the Iron Fleet. <laughs> um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're talking about pieces, we're talking about spectacle. The last season of Game of Thrones had spectacle, but um, anytime someone in an interview says, I wanted to subvert audience expectations, and I'm like, our expectations were it was going to be good. Um, and I think that's, that's a prime example of having a lot of, you know, raw materials and raw talent to work with but not using, like we are saying, that emotional core, that character core, where the, the spectacle was hollow. I don't, so this is more than a scene, but the entire movie of The Last Airbender. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't need to say anything more. Are you the Avatar Ong? Um, yeah, I, I'm just gonna leave it at that. Yep. Um, <clears throat> wasn't prepared for this question. No, uh, <laughs> uh, I would probably say um, in the most recent past, um, like we we were talking about this earlier, like Ri Rise of the Skywalker or whatever, Rise of Skywalker. This was most had lunch talk. Yeah, had a lot of things, a lot of momentum that should have been able to be capitalized on, and for some reason it just kind of like. It just stopped, so we're gonna create our own momentum and then we're not really gonna pay most of this off and but but at least it won't offend anybody. So <laughs> that's kinda of how I felt about that. I just feel like that movie was a lot of wasted potential. Not bad. I didn't hate it or anything, but it was an unfortunate and and the ending was a little a little I don't know, I won't I will keep talking about it. <laughs> Can I be very controversial? Yeah, go ahead. Please. But but hear me out. Just hear me out. So you'll have an, many of you will have an emotional response to what I'm about to say, but but just pause and hear me out for just one second. Okay, are, are you ready for this? One. I'm okay. so afraid. All right, we're at three seconds. Now. The entire series of the Mandalorian. <laughs> okay, 
Oh, okay, okay, okay. Okay, because we might what, not be able to be friends what, anymore. Because <laughs> when I posted about this online, I got a lot of a lot of uh, pushback. But I'll, I'll, I'll just I'll just quickly. Obviously, it's, it's beautifully made. The art is Realize phenomenal. Realize he's a Trekkie. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Hey, okay. I am a, a, a crazy Trekkie. It's true. It's true. Okay, but but yeah, but but. But here's why, and I think this is actually really instructive because I think a lot of people here in the room are, are, are creators as well, and, and, and not just fans, but, but also creators. And so here's, here's, here's the, the big, I'm also a big Star Wars fan, um, but I thought The Mandalorian was one of the worst series ever made, and here's why. Um, again, gorgeously done, great performances, everything was super. However, one of the main themes of The Mandalorian was, in fact, obviously portrayed by the Mandalorian and the man behind the mask, which was, let's put a face on characters who don't get faces, okay? Rebel people, the Mandalorian himself, obviously. Um, we, have, we, have the, we have the Grogu character who is, who is not just this paragon of Jedi-ness, but is actually a character with opinions and feelings and things like that. So, so, we're, so the whole series was about valuing the individual, right? However, the filmmakers gloried in the indiscriminate slaughter of stormtroopers. Okay, so when you watch it, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm being totally serious here, when you watch it, you'll notice how gleefully they kill stormtroopers by the dozen, and it, it, it's gleefully, right? And you can tell that the director, and, and you can tell how it's shot, and the music, and the editing, you can tell that they're gleefully finding reasons and like stupid lame reasons to want to be able to kill everybody because they, they like set up like one bad thing that the that this imperial person does and then that gives them an excuse to kill them or to hurt them or then they go and they just slaughter people you don't need to slaughter um, and so so what was interesting is that is that I thought the Mandalorian destroyed its own theme by by the directors being really lazy, and, and you can hear in their in, in their in their behind the scenes around the table. Oh, we just love stormtroopers. We just love killing stormtroopers. Ha 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 ha! And they're talking about that, but the problem is, is that that is the actual antithesis of the theme that they are trying to portray in that in that series. And so that, that was one of the reasons why every time I, I watched an episode of Mandalorian, I was thinking, I was thinking, okay, this is super cool. I mean, this is, they have unlimited creative power here. You know, what I mean, they're, they they do whatever that they're wanting to do. But they are actually visually and story in, in, in the storytelling wise, they're actually destroying their own story, and no one notices. I should say, not enough people noticed, because they're like, "Oh, the Mandalorian changed my life." Blah 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 blah. And I'm thinking, "Are you sure?" You know, watch it again and, and, and see what it's actually saying to you. So anyway, that's that's. Uh, Wait a minute, it's your hot take. How many stormtroopers did Luke kill in episode four? <laughs> Come on. Uh, okay, no, but so look at the setup. There's something like 64 million people on the Death Star. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> we can have a specific debate. <laughs> to, to, to his credit, the objection was less killing Stormtrooper bad and more killing Stormtrooper antithetical to the themes of the Mandalorian. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I don't necessarily agree, but I'll give you the argument. Okay. Um, talking about scenes and visuals and characters, did you check out Star Wars Visions? It's beautiful. Okay, yeah, so on Disney Plus, they're... Uh, Disney approached 10 different Japanese animation studios and said, make us a Star Wars short film, no restrictions. It just has to be in Star Wars. And it turned out some really beautiful, uh, very unique takes on the universe. The, the samurai one? The first with the, one? the weird umbrella? umbrella lightsaber thing? Oh my gosh. That was amazing. 
All right. So whenever we do anything like this, when people talk about their grades, there are always two kinds of lists that we have in our heads. The list of, oh, I'm sure someone in the audience is going to know that, and I can reference that, and you know, that'll be satisfying. And then the personal list of, but then there's something that like three people from Sweden made once, and I really like it, but no one else, I, I can't sell this. What, what, is, what scene from something you're pretty sure no one really knows about, no one really paid attention to, what, what scene from genre TV and that stuck out to you? We might need five. Like a like a scene that uh, just just a quiet. What? Uh, Any? Yeah. Obscure. Yeah. Or something that people yeah. might not have encountered. Okay. Okay. Hmm. For uh, I'll I'll give you guys an example of a of, a, of <laughs> something. One. So there was a uh, low. Uh, a didn't do as well as it should have. There was a movie called Arrival, 2016. And there is a scene where a uh, character is dreaming, but not uh, experiencing this out-of-body experience in time, and it's very strange and surreal. The, the filmmaking is incredible. And I love talking about it with the two other people that have seen that movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've seen it. It was awesome. Yeah, it's a good Great. movie. Yeah. yeah. There is an animation school in France called uh, Goblin. It's like Goblin but, you know, French. Um, and every year, the senior graduating class put out short animated films that they have made. Um, and so you can look up G-O-B-E-L-I-N-S. So, Gobelin. Um, they have just some beautiful, such stirring uh, senior films that, you know, just one or two people worked on at a time. And one of my favorites, is uh, about this little lizard who flies a magical airplane that has a bunch of French horns off the back. It's just like a small fantasy slice of life. And as you fly it over the field, um, it will grow flowers. It will grow flowers in its wing. And most of these little magical planes have been dismantled. Um, and sold for scrap that they now have industrial horn machines that do the same job. And it's a, it's a small heist movie where this anthropomorphic lizard is trying to steal his airplane and is getting his friend to conduct uh, an orchestra concert at the same time so he can fly his magical musical plane away. Um, the art is stunning. And the music is also really emotional as well. So. Niche enough for you? At no point in that description did I know what you were going to say next. <laughs> when you said it was a heist movie. <laughs> wow. So the problem is I already know two people that have already seen this movie. I mean, and they're sitting next to me. Because uh, we talked about it much. I mean, so maybe some of you have seen it. It's the 1983 movie Kroll. It is a fantastic, fun movie. You know, Liam Neeson's in it, so you got to see it. Um... Just for that, uh, it's, it starts off really weird. A lot of people didn't see it because it came out at the same time as Return of the Jedi. Mm. Uh, and you should have seen Return of the Jedi because it was more amazing. But it had some really cool elements to it, you know. Uh, you had traditional magic, you had this space monster that arrives on the planet, stills the princess. There's this really cool glaive thing, a giant spider, some poor guy that's in love with this lady that's trapped by said spider. 
um, a cyclops that he's just there, you know. And this this magician that turns into animals because he can't cast spells right. Uh, so it's it's fun. It's a really fun film, and it has some really good elements to it besides Liam Neeson. Um, but if you haven't seen it, you should see it. So, um, because I help run a film festival, sometimes get to see stuff that not everybody gets to see. I'm jealous. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, there was a, this might be the right audience for this. So there was an animated science fiction film that came in this last year. It was called S. Luna, The Crown of Babylon. I don't know if anybody's heard of it. It's no, but I need to see it now. Made in Canada, yeah. Um, well, that's where I saw it, but <laughs> um, it, it's this like so. Most notably, this it was written, directed, and animated by one guy. It, it's a feature film. It was like two hours long when I watched wow. it. Yeah, uh, I think it's been cut down since. Um, yeah, it's but it was good. Like it had my attention the whole time. It's like action adventure. It has big moments, like good character-driven story. I was like, this is really impressive. And it's just one guy, one dude from Canada. It's called Asluna, E-S-L-U-N-A. And then there's like a subtitle, The Crown of Babylon. I think he also did a show that that's, takes place in the same world. Um, it has. It's also called Asluna. I don't know much more than that. I haven't seen any of that. But it was really good. And I recommend it. So, wow, um, there are so many little pockets of sci-fi and fantasy that I just you know have burning around in my head of, that are just obscure things that are still available. Gosh, I want to I want to talk about a scene from Plan Nine from Outer Space, um, old Twilight Zone stuff. But I think I will confine myself to the following. So um, we've been talking about movies and books, but there's also a phenomenal medium called um, uh, podcasts. And so uh, in, in the old days, they were called audio dramas, right? And so, um, and so the old audio drama series called X minus one is, uh, is a, and, and you just look for it. Uh, it was called Dimension X, then it was rebranded as X minus one. Anyway, find it uh, made in the, in the 50s. And it is some of the most wonderful science fiction. And it's a little bit cheesy. You got all the actors and the, and the shoes, you know, stomping in the music and, 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 and the goofy music, whatever. But, um, but, but this is where, where sci-fi really came into its own, right? Um, where, where people started taking it seriously. It, it wasn't just the Flash Gordon serials, but it was science fiction taken very, very seriously. And, um, and it, it sounds a little cheesy to us, but it's, it, it's just phenomenal stuff. So I, I won't go into all, all the different stories, but... But, uh, but do yourself a huge favor and, and just download, you can get it for free, X minus one. And, uh, and you're gonna find just, you know, uh, you're gonna find a little bit over the top sci-fi, but, but the concepts, you're gonna be like, wait a minute, they did that in, a, in, in an episode of a, of a modern show or in a modern movie or in a modern book, whatever. It's like, no, actually that was 70 years ago. But they first thought that up and it, it's just very, very distilled sci-fi concepts um, that you'll just love. So anyway, X minus one. Check it out. There's nothing new under the sun. So, when you, I mean, we're all makers of stories as much as we are fans. Yes. When you are making your own stories, particularly if you've got a moment that you need to land, how, you know, what do you take from these kinds of big moments 
when, when you're trying to, to build to it. And when you, when you think of the best moments in science fiction and fantasy, what good are they to us? I can tell you what they do to me. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. no. I was say the only problem is, is they make me put my expectations too high. <laughs> so um, the this science fiction film that I'm currently editing, it's kind of the the writer director kind of seems to have taken a little bit from Predator on it. It's it's you know, and you definitely feel that when you're you know when you're watching it, but. Uh, uh, I, I, you know, as I was editing through it, I was like, I was like, this needs some like bigger moments here and some bigger moments there, and and so, but I, I'm like, I think I'm drawing too much on what Hollywood movies can provide based on, you know, what a, an independent film can actually do. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, for me, it's uh, I like to I like to do what I call dissecting my references, which is when something inspires me and I'm like, I want to do this. I like to break it down into almost like a, a numbered list of, okay, I liked the visuals, I liked that it had bold colors, I liked the music, I liked that it had this, this, and this. And so that way I, I don't produce a carbon copy of you know my inspiration, but instead I can say, oh, well, I really liked the subtle emotional acting there, I need to do some you know more live action studies or, or more sketches and drawings before I move into this. Um, and something that's made me realize is the, if you like something, it's very rare if it's something you're passionate about that you're like, I just like this one 30 second stretch, but the rest of the movie I can throw away. I mean, there can be highlights and things you watch, but generally the scenes that you love have lead up coming to them and like satisfying fall off from them. Um, uh, I think particularly something I love about mystery stories is like, going back to watch them again and seeing where all the clues were laid. If there's an excellent fight sequence that's got emotional character stuff in it, I like to go back through and see, okay, but where did the, where did the two stories build up to get to that point? And I think a, a movie that didn't quite do this as well recently was Raya and the Last Dragon, where they wanted to have this huge emotional sword fight at the end of the movie, but there wasn't really a great um, character motivations leading us into that scene, even though the, the artistry of the scene itself is gorgeous. Well, I, I like the breadcrumbs. I mean, the prestige delivered perfectly at the end of that movie. You know, you get through that whole movie constantly second guessing, and you're like, oh, no, I think I figured it out. No, I didn't. Oh, no, 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 it's, this is it. No, it's not up until the end and then they deliver this thing and you're like, wow, I just missed all of this. How did I miss this? I was watching this movie. And sometimes, even when you go back the second time, you still aren't getting every little breadcrumb. So it's done really well. The book is, is amazing too. Um, and so when I see it, uh, something I want to bring into something, I, you know, I, I kind of dissect it like she, she mentioned. You know, This is great, and then dissect it. Okay, this was here, this was here. How do I incorporate these? Not only that, but then how do I twist it for myself to fit in my story and be unique enough that it doesn't look like I'm just ripping off like Brandon Sanderson or Dave Farland or all these other great other authors or creators? Uh, yeah, I guess I, I, I think I'm, I'm kind of along those lines when I, when I start working on a book or on a screenplay or on whatever. Um, I am thinking of... Uh, 
I guess I start most of my stories with, wouldn't it be cool if, and then that's how the world starts forming in my head and that's how the characters start, start, start being populated. But then the next phase is, and I can't wait for this scene. I have no idea how I'm gonna get there, um, but I know that there's a scene between these two characters where this thing is gonna happen. And I'm so excited about that. And I gotta figure out where I can put that on the outline, how I can build into that, how I can make that a surprise and also a delight for the audience or, 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 or whatever. And so, um, and so I, I, I definitely have those, those big set pieces that now I have to go back and construct how am I gonna get to that point? Because I know that that's where the heart of my story is. That's where the real love is. That's where the real craziness is, you know. And then how do I, how do I build into that? So, so that's kind of happens with me. I, I I don't usually start with those scenes in my mind. First off, the world starts becoming a little more real, and then I immediately go there before I start narrating anything because I it's those that I want to get to. Perfect. Thank you. And that is most of the time we have. We got just a, a few more minutes. I want to give everyone a chance to just go over where they can be found for the rest of the conference, their upcoming panels, chill, all that good stuff. So uh, I'll start going over line. Um, real fast, it is a crime that I didn't talk about Arcane at all. Mm -hmm. uh, please check out Arcane on Netflix. I was moved to tears by the camera work. Like, forget, you know, the colored acting, all that sort of stuff. Just check out Arcane visually. Chef's kiss. <laughs> um, you can find me at Third Child Art, all spelled out, one word, on most social medias. I generally post fan art because my work art uh, ends up on the TV. Um, but uh, you can find me a lot of places here at LTUE, most notably tomorrow at 1 p.m. I'm doing a creator chat. That's one of the things you have to sign up for ahead of time. Um, I'm probably going to spend that hour talking about the animated and live-action Disney musicals and like a compare contrast of the design choices in both of them. Uh, and then I'm also going to be giving the keynote address on Saturday at 2 um, about training for a marathon of creativity. Alright, um, you can find me at DungeonCrawlersRadio.com or FateOfDragons.com, that's my writing site. Um, I have a panel on Saturday which is Streaming 101, but uh, you know, check our show out. Um, so, like I said, I have a, a film festival. It's here in Provo. Uh, we generally run it out of um, Valor. Uh, it runs nine days, so and we have lots of movies. We have like a couple hundred movies usually. Um, and it's, I believe we're having it first week in November this year, so you should come. It would be fun to see you there. We had, we actually had so many people in there this last time that it was standing room only, so um, we may have to find something else to do with it. But um, and then I did. This isn't science fiction or fantasy or anything, but I did shoot a feature a couple years ago called uh, uh, Oh, oh, Bookworm and the Beast, <laughs> and that is on Peacock. If you want to watch that, it's on some other streaming services. So feel free to check that out. You can find me at TomDurb.com or MartianStudios.com, and I'm just having a few more panels here here at the. Uh, here at the event, so yeah, that's it. All right, thank you for your time. Thank you.